Verum, sie nehmen das Jus, Quatum et Faissimo, Quotest inferius est sicut Quotest superius, et Quotest superius est sicut Quotest inferius, ad perpetuum der miraculare reunius. Et sicut res omnes für und ab uno, meditat iune unius, sic omnes resnate abhak unere, adaptation. Pater eius est so. Mate eius est luna, Pot avit elut ventus in ventris u, nutrix eius terra est. Pate omnis tibus mitotius mundi est hi. Virtus eius integra est civersa fürit in terra. I want to start out with a very quick overview of the text, the actual text of the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. Then I'll go back and talk a little bit more about Hermes, Hermeticism, Mercury, uh, the syncretism and then go through uh, and connect various translations of the Emerald Tablet uh, to the motivations of the characters in Dark. Uh, because they're not whatever else they might be, and there's a lot of neat spooky symbolism in the show, but they're not Hermeticists, ultimately. Although they are using the science of alchemy, and they use the trappings of Hermeticism, the Emerald Tablet, etc., Sigmundus, Creatus Est, they don't actually, except for on a few very rare exceptions, they don't talk like alchemists. The thing about the, uh, the, the spiritual side of alchemy, its purpose is to evolve the, the operator. Um, whether it's the Jungian analysis, where you're trying to have psychic individuation, or a more spiritual analysis, where you're trying to create either the Philosopher's Stone or the Elixir of Eternal Life, whatnot you're affecting a change in the spiritual. The spiritual realm is above the physical realm, but that which is above is, is that which is below. So if you have to affect changes upon one, it will automatically change the other. Almost in the same manner as uh, uh, what I understand, a popular understanding of it, I'm sure, to be the idea of quantum entanglement. What you do to one molecule or electron or whatever it is on one end will change its relation, or it'll change its substance, according to its connection to the other. And it could be almost infinitely apart across the universe. It's faster than light. But what these guys are trying to find is the ultimate uh, god particle. The alchemists would have called it the prima materia, the primary source of matter. Um, but for modern-day 21st century types, and the travelers tend to be more oriented to the future way of seeing the world instead of the past way of seeing it. The only science that they could use that would derive them help finding the prima materia would be alchemical. Alchemy or hermeticism, depending on who you ask, is either it's a proto-chemistry, a proto-science, and it has all of the trappings of a, of a major branch of science, the same way that uh, Thomas Kuhn spoke of scientific revolutions. Alchemy, uh, the Hermeticism is a philosophical worldview, a, neo, uh, a pagan from the ancient world. It, it's syncretic for paganism and gnosis and neoplatonism. Uh, the travelers are looking at that more from a modern, through a modern lens. They're not looking at it through a hermetic analysis. They're using electricity. They're trying to determine uh, 
how to find the god particle to create the, the gate, the time portals, and the time machine. So all of that has to do with, uh, with quantum physics, the physical universe, etc. Now they're hermetic in this sense only, and it's a loose sense. Because they're the travelers. The travelers can go anywhere in time and space with their uh, devices. Whether it's the time machine, the portable device with the cesium-137 in it, or if it's one of the gateways that uh, the Sigmundus group always seems to have these giant black sphere gateways. We have to assume that all these gateways are like the one in the cave. They're a black hole. And so in order to create that black hole in that source of power, they'd have to have primary sense of matter. The, the grounding chemical, whatever that is. The grounding state of matter. Now the Hermetic philosophy is very interesting, and I'm going to go into that some. But in, with relation to the, to the show, to Dark, a lot of this stuff doesn't apply. Because they care about the God particle, not about the Philosopher's Stone. Noah is not trying to heal the world. He is not trying to create an elixir of youth or health so they can live forever and keep traveling around in time. No. And it's especially evident that they're not messing with fountain of youth type stuff because, hey, look at uh, Adam, how ancient and decrepit, although he's in good health for being so ancient and decrepit, they're not looking for eternal health or youth. They have some of the trappings of a secret society. Secret handshakes, maybe. Yeah, secret codes. Secret texts, in that they're reading alchemical texts. Um, but it's not even... And I don't know much about this, but... It doesn't even seem to have the basic trappings of Freemasonry. <laughs> yeah, you see that? Isn't that spooky? It's, it's definitely getting night now. It's definitely dark. And it's getting cold, so everything's dying. Everything, it's killing everything. I love the seasons. No, I don't love the seasons. I'd be just as happy if it was warm all year. I could do without the seasons. Now, I mean, what, what, what stereotypical knowledge, popular knowledge that I have of the more esoteric orders or secret societies, what I've read about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, for instance, or the Freemasons. The, the Sigmundus group, and then in the other, other sphere, the uh, Lux Eret, don't, they have some of the appearance of, trappings of, a secret society, but barely even the most basic aspects of how these societies communicate. Because all, all these different societies have their own language, in a sense. They, they have their own interpretations. They have uh, their own words, which they've changed some of the meanings of in order to better fit their, their interpretation. The Sigmundus doesn't have that. They don't... I don't think these people care about sacred handshakes. I mean, I'm sure they have some uh, secrecy and codes to protect themselves for wherever they are in time. Uh, whatever they're in the past or nearer the present or nearer the future, they will need to conceal what they're about. And they'll need to be very close-knit. 
very. I'm, I'm sure these people, however they live 33 years, trapped in 1888 or whatever it is, they're not going around recruiting people. They're not telling people about it. Uh, most se even secret societies want new members. <clears throat> they they want they have their purpose that they need to fulfill, and in order to do it better, they need new members. Um, and the Sigmundus doesn't seem to have it. And then, in both worlds, the Sigmundus and Lux Eret tend to kill one another in a ritualized sort of way. Things have to be exactly right, so they can't harm one another until they've achieved exactly what they'd achieved the previous time they've gone around. I mean, this is in Dark, you know, that that's, that's a primary aspect of, of the plot line of Dark, is that everything has to happen. So they can't, neither side can actually attack the other and have a decisive victory. They can change, we learn in the third season, they can change tiny things here and there, but they have to be small and not have a direct effect on the outcome until it does. Uh, and you see that in the in near the end of the third season. There are a few occasions where Noah sounds like a hermetic-sounding kind of guru when he's talking with Helge outside the church about Jonas, uh, the the young man who rented a room in his home when he was a child, right after World War I. Then it starts to sound a bit alchemical, or, or rather hermetical, uh, where everything is all in, in a, a miracle of one, it's all in a unity, nothing is in vain, absolutely everything is, uh, is perfect. Um, <clears throat> nothing is in vain. You remember that speech Noah gives to Helge? So the Emerald Tablet, now why do I keep going back to this? I'm ignoring the Corpus Hermeticum, I'm, I'm ignoring the Asclepius. Uh, there are some massive numbers of different hermetic treatises and documents that are interwoven. Some of them were even found with the Gnostic Gospels hidden in the Nag Hammadi uh, finding. They were with those codexes in the clay jars in the cave. The show only seems to highlight two alchemical texts directly that I'm aware of. I'd have to go back and watch the entire show again, which I'm going to do anyway, but it seems like they, they are only focusing and highlighting two documents. One of them, which I hopefully have debunked, the reliance on um, um, the Kybalion which I think is a bit like a, uh, uh, I don't know, a, a chef at a five-star restaurant using a recipe to make chocolate chip cookies. That's what I think it is. You know, or maybe, here's another metaphor, maybe it would be like if you went and tried to get out a book <clears throat> about psychological ways to increase your self-confidence and how to, you know, go through which steps to take to do creative visual imagery, you know, so you can win the Olympics or whatever the hell it is you're, you're obsessed with. And you open the damn book and it's a commentary uh, on, uh, uh, who's that guy? Robbins, you know, Tony Robbins or something. Now, whatever, Tony Robbins and his sphere. I don't know much about him. I don't care to. I haven't read any books by him. Don't give a damn. Uh, it seems like he says some stuff that's pretty good that helps people out, but, you know, 21st century popular motivational speakers, it's not exactly what I'd be looking for if I were trying to read a, 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 
a deeply psychological analysis of uh, increasing one's uh, persona, strengthening one's confidence, it'd be disappointing. And that's what I feel like that, that Kabbalion is. Although its principles are sound, yes, it is, it's not unsound. If you're starting out on that path, it's a good book to start with. Just as long as you understand, it's a book to start with. And I just cannot bring myself to imagine. You know, they'd be reading the Rosicrucian texts. They'd be reading secret tracts and manuscripts or something. They'd be, they, they, these guys would not be going to the local five and dime in 1910 and getting the fucking Kybalion. They just wouldn't be doing it. Sorry. On either side, they know way too much about alchemy and way, way too much about hermeticism and physics. Even if they never talk like that, it indicates if they've read some of these books, they have some clue, but they're not a hermetic secret society. They're not even like the hermetic order of the Golden Dawn. I, You know, they're just, I don't know, some strange secret society that has some screwed up goals and doesn't really have a lot of secrets or anything too unusual or unheard of. Now, this is the Emerald Tablet. Um, I'm going to go through a few of the different translations of it really quickly so it's in your mind. Then I'm going to go back and talk more about Hermes and hermeticism and syncretism, because it's important. Or at least it's important for the definition. And then I'm going to go through the translations that I think are the most uh, easily connectable to uh, molecular, physical sciences, physics, whatever it is. Namely, the translation of Isaac Newton and the Fulcanelli. Volcanelli was a 20th century alchemist. He drew a lot of uh, alchemical, surrealist-like designs on uh, cathedrals. And of course, we all know who Isaac Newton was. He was the alchemist who discovered uh, gravity. And let's not make any mistake about Isaac Newton. He was an alchemist. He was a, a, a kind of a magus. Uh, he wasn't a scientist in the sense we understand science. It was more in the sense of how Renaissance understood scientia, which is knowledge. Scientia. Natural philosophy. Okay, they, they were still trying to invent a procedure me, procedural means of the scientific method. But they hadn't quite got there yet, so most of the major people that are praised for being atheistic scientists from the 1700s, 1600s, what have you, uh, guess what? They were alchemical maguses who were religious. Most of them were religious men. Um, for instance, Isaac Newton had the very sensible position of being a non-Trinitarian. When he believed in the Christ, he believed in his Bible and all. He was a Christian, but he rejected the Trinity. Um, which, it, that kind of makes more sense. It just, I mean, the Trinity doesn't make sense. But with regard to dark, it's full of uh, three and one, thrice Trinity. So the, the, the idea of Christ as, a, as, a, as three, three and one, within the milieu of dark, although they never talk about Jesus Christ, or very rarely do they, that would fit more. That would be more in keeping with their worldview, a Trinitarian worldview. But they're certainly not Christian. Helge's mother was a Christian. Uh, and so Noah came to her in the capacity of being her spiritual guide, her pastor to help guide her through the grief of losing the son she really didn't love anyway all that much and it makes some sense although I feel sorry for the kid right because she was uh, it's pretty strongly implied she's he's not Burns son although Burn calls him son he's not his son 
the, the end of the war, I don't think was too kind to Mrs. Doppler. Uh, she was raped at the fall of uh, West Germany. And that that's how Helga was brought into the world. So she doesn't really love, although with him missing, I think she begins to recognize some of her parental re responsibilities and rights. But I mean, it's not like, there's no, <laughs> Helge is not going to be happy. He came from a warm family, maybe burned when he had time for him. But Noah was a better father in a way to Helge than, than burnt. And <clears throat> so in any case, the, um, the talk of religion is, is very, almost stereotypically basic. I mean, I'm sure these writers know way more about religion than they're letting on in those few scenes with, with Mrs. Doppler and uh, Noah. You know, but it's sort of the stuff that you could do in your sleep, right? You know, citing the 23rd Psalm. I, I think even in this fallen generation, everybody can still recite the 23rd Psalm. We haven't quite lost that ability yet to, to know what it means when you're talking about, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want, I lie down in green pastures, etc. You know, in, in a, I spread, thou anointest the table in, in the presence of my enemies or something. People know this. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you're with me, your rod and your staff comfort me, all that stuff, right? And I'm sure what most of us have memorized more effectively is the, the King James if nothing else, it has a syllabic resonance, you know, that's, we've heard all our lives, seen it in movies, we've, we've perhaps even seen it in practice, it's less likely, but it's, it's not impossible. Uh, most people can recite the 23rd Psalm and have a fairly, you know, fairly reasonable understanding of, of what it means. You're in the valley of, of, of the shadow of death, you're in the, you're in the presence of evil. And <clears throat> it's usually... I mean, what what do they default to, right? They don't default to John 3.16, although most of us know John 3.16. They default to the stuff that you are very, very common. Because it used to be, this isn't the way it is today, but even when I was, you know, in my 20s, you still had an understanding that when you went to a ceremonial of some kind or other, a christening, a funeral, whatever, a wedding, you might have scriptural re passages recited, and that even if you were uh, non-religious, one still respected the community, and you respected other people's religiosity. Whether or not you agreed, and you weren't required to agree, nobody was forcing one to agree, but still, as an exercise in communal tolerance, which is gone now, no one knows what that is now, you would close your eyes, you would bow your head, you know, if you have to pray for 30 seconds, you sit quietly. You don't disturb those who really are praying, who <clears throat> genuinely have a sense of meaning what they, what, they, what they mean. But I think in very short order, another 10 years, you know, the older people like, uh, like me maybe, but there are going to be kids soon in this world who've never heard the 23rd Psalm except in movies, who, who have never ever seen the funeral, you know, ashes to ashes, dust, that really somber, you know, the stuff nobody likes about funerals, and, and I don't blame people for that, that's, you know, um, 
you watch a Stephen King film and they reenact a funeral for a couple of seconds or what have you. But that'll be the only, nobody will be in church. I mean, it's mostly gone today, but it still has a ways to go, but it's going to go there. I mean, that'll be the day when no one will even remotely understand how to read 19th century poetry because most of that's based on Bible scripture and script knowledge of scripture and classics. That's gone. <clears throat> for better or worse, I tend to think it's for worse, but, you know, there, there are always these changes in the ages and um, usually something, something new comes that's fresh that replaces it. If, if societies are allowed to develop under natural forces, um, which that's also going out the window with our social justice, you know, pave the world over and reform it to my image sort of violence that they're visiting upon us. Uh, so, in any case, Emerald Tablet. Several different translations of it. I'm looking at the Internet Sacred Text Archive version of the Emerald Tablet. There are maybe half a dozen different translations. You can find more than that easily. Some are from Latin, some are from Syriac, some are from uh, German, because the Rosicrucians, Backstrom's Rosicrucians. Yeah, and, and, and you know, the, the meaning is slightly different. The cadence of the words, the intonation of the different meanings of the words is slightly off. I think there are a few that are sound more Christian. There are a few that are more esoterically hermetic. There are a few that are more potentially scientific. The scientific ones will be what I focus on in the end, um, because that's what the travelers are. They're scientists and phys physicists. Uh, and I'll kind of leave out the more esoteric-sounding translations of the Emerald Tablet. So, just as an example, okay? Okay, this is from Jeber. Uh, Jabir. Jabir Ibn... I've never heard of this guy. Um, Hayyan. Jabir Ibn Hayyan. And it might be useful, too, if you have a computer to... It's, it's, I can tell you how to find it. It's the Internet Sacred Text Archive. And the page, I don't, I'm not going to give the HTTP nonsense, because I think it's, if you type this into Google, if you want to follow along, if that would be useful, because I'm going to skip over some of these things, too. It's Emerald Tablet, okay? And it's the Internet Sacred Text Archive. It's the Emerald Tablet. And it has a number of these different translations lined up side by side, so you can do a textual comparison, okay? Okay. <clears throat> Okay, line one, these are like aphorisms. Truth, certainty, that in which there is no doubt. And this is the truth that's of uncertainty and that there is no doubt. Okay? That which is above is from that which is below, and that which is below is from that which is above, working the miracle of one. Okay, we've talked about this, correspondences. Talked about this in the Black Mirror episodes. We've talked about this in every single one of these episodes. I've done it with Dark. As above, so below. It's a simple alchemical axiom. It's also a primary axiom in the uh, Kaibalion. Okay, so three. As all things were from one, for its father is the sun, and its mother the moon. 
okay now that could be what that's it's a spiritual uh, it may be a metaphor a hidden metaphor for si silver and gold gold and silver rather it could be something to do with spirit it could be something to do with the positive and negative forces yin and yang in young it's it's the animus and the anima okay I mean so there's there's depths and depths and depths to these things the earth carried it in her belly and the wind nourished it in her belly okay as earth which shall become fire feed the earth from that which is subtle with the greatest power okay and this is we're on eight now it ascends from the earth to the heaven and becomes ruler over that which is above and that which is below okay so I mean what what's that that could mean anything right okay and here's another another Arabic version here is a true explanation this is one here is a true explanation concerning which there can be no doubt two it attests the above from the below and the below from the above okay it's just a variant of correspondences the work of the miracle of the one and three and things have been from this prime substance through a single act how wonderful is this work it is the main principle of the world and is its maintainer and see see the language see how it's sort of high sounding and magical sounding and <clears throat> it's open it almost is open language it could it, it could almost mean any damn thing you want it to mean it's it's one of those sort of deals but it does it does give a sufficient structure description of that structure of the world and of matter so let me, I'll keep going just so this is in your head and then I'm going to uh, break off. This will be the end of the first segment. And then I'm going to go back and in the second segment and talk about Hermes, Hermeticism, and then go, go back to the translations of Emerald Tablet that are more directly applicable to, to dark. So we're on aphorism four. This is the second Arabic translation translated originally from Arabic into German and from German into English by an anonymous author. There's no name here for this translation. For its father is the sun, and its mother the moon. The wind has borne it in its body, and the earth has nourished it. The father of talisman, and the protector of miracles, whose powers are perfect, and whose lights are confirmed. Okay. 7 now it's 7a fire that becomes earth separate the earth from the fire so you will attain the subtle as more inherent than the gross with care and sagacity okay that's a direct explanation of the alchemical process um, 
But anytime you're you're cooking or you're separating out particulates, distillates, you're making medicines, you know, it's it it's almost as applicable to any chemical process. Um, and it's it's certainly alchemical apparatus evolved into our chemical. They're almost the same devices. If you if you walked into the lab of an alchemist, you'd scarcely be able to tell the difference right away between the alchemist and the chemist. Okay. <clears throat> It rises from earth to heaven so as to draw the light of the heights to itself and descends to the earth. Thus within it are the forces of the above and the below. Now that's a little spooky, right? Because <clears throat> you think of the water cycle, you think of things rising and falling, different cycles in nature, cycles of energy. I mean, but that's, that's a little spooky. You know, that it, whatever that said, in the first translation, number eight didn't sound that profound in the first one I read, but it sure did in this one. And um, it's a subtle change in language, but it adds shadings of meaning to it. It doesn't change the meaning of the actual statement, which is to say it rises and falls again. It, it, it's a cycle. It's a cyclical uh, alignment of forces. Or you're looking into the alchemical retort and stuff is evaporating and it condenses, congeals, and then falls back down again. Uh, after it's done evaporating, it's, it distillates out, you know, and it falls back down and then you change the fire again and you're, you're, it looks like different stuff. You, you know, you're changing its properties according to its chemical properties. We, that's how our worldview works today. It's chemical properties. Back then they didn't have chemistry yet. So, because the light of light's within it, thus does the darkness flee before it. See, there was nothing like that in the first translation I went through. The darkness flees before it. Now, what is that? You're, you're separating out the gross from the subtle, remember. So there's heavier matter, usually in alchemy that signifies heavier metals and less useful metals, such as lead. Um... 10. The force of forces which overcomes every subtle thing and penetrates into everything gross. Now, they don't mean repulsive gross, like, get it off me, blah, it's gross, throw it out, you know. Gross means um, similar to what it might in a, in a, uh, a statistical analysis. It means heavy. In the terms of in terms of um, estimations, it's they're big numbers. They're not they're inexact. It's 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 gross. It's uh, it's barely barely useful, and it's it certainly isn't refined. It's unrefined. Separate out. Or the dross. Some alchemical treatises talk about the dross. Some use a biblical metaphor and they talk about separating out the wheat from the chaff. Okay, and and and, and some talk about you know separating out you even when you're panning for gold just something as simple as that sifting through all the mud to find the gold nuggets there's a lot of stuff you've got to get out of the way and and uh distilled out to stop being in the way do you guys think i'm in potential danger from one of these fucking owls diving out of the night and trying to eat my eyes they sound weird. I don't usually hear weird bird sounding things like that. 
I don't know. Maybe I should be worried? The structure of the microcosm is in accordance with the structure of the macrocosm. Yeah, we know that. Um, that's number 11. That's different from what it says in other versions of this uh, tractate. Number 11 most often talks about, thus the world was made, Sigmundus creatus est. Okay? Never mind, that's all fine. We know all about that. <clears throat> and accordingly, proceed the knowledgeable. Okay? 13. And to this aspired Hermes, who was threefold, greatest with wisdom, and this is his last book, which he concealed in the chamber. See? See, this is a... So, yeah, uh, if you get the impression, this is a strange um, poem. Call it what it is. It's a poem. If you are familiar with, with Kabbalistic or alchemical tractates, you may have read the, uh, the Sefer Yetzirah, uh, which is a Hebrew Kabbalistic foundational text. They're able to put a lot of very, very simple uh, words to describe a lot of exceptionally complex issues. Uh, and this is like that. This is a poem. It's a poem. It's like the, it's like the Sefer Yetzirah. And in fact, alchemy and Kabbalah are one and the same in many interpretations. They're very, they're quite linked. Um, so, but I think I've, I've, I've suggested the picture to you of what the Emerald Tablet reads like. Now, you know what it looks like. It's the, the triketa. It's on the door under the ground in the cave. It's, uh, you, you see it tattooed on Noah's back. It's this strange glyph, giant glyphic thing, whatever it is. And that text is what that sigil represents. That's what the triketa is. And the Sigmundus Creatus Est on the door is number 11 from the Emerald Tablet. Now we saw that Elizabeth at one point was reading a copy of the Emerald Tablet. She opened it and a, a piece of paper fell out. Remember she had to catch it. I think if we could read the German it'd be more satisfying because you know you, you can pause uh, you can pause it and you can read all the German but they didn't translate it into the English. Now, for example, when uh, The Stranger is in season one, in episode five, I think it is, when The Stranger is in the hotel room uh, in, in uh, Regina Tiedemann's hotel, all over that wall, and there's a ton of text that is not translated into English, and it's all in German, all about the black hole, where is the crossing, the, this, the wind in caves, this and that, how is this connected to that? If, if we were able to read the German, I can guarantee you that there would be a richness revealed from that snapshot. And I'm sure if you froze the Emerald Tablet and looked at it, depending on whether it's a Latin translation or uh, uh, depending on which secret society's translation they're, they're drawing upon, you know, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn has somewhat different ideas than the Rosicrucians, than the Freemasons, than the Theosophists, and I mean Blavatsky's Theosophy, not the real Theosophy from Jake, uh, Swedenborg, Jacob Boehme. You could, you could reveal a treasure trove. Um, you know, but I don't know much German, and, um, uh, if you do, then wow, man, awesome to you. You can watch it in the original, and and you can read Jonas's map. I mean, that'd be that'd be really groovy. 
Okay, so let's break. This is a break. I just wanted the Emerald Tablet in your heads. I wanted to get as much of the feel of that poem as I could into your minds. Hopefully there it stays. So after after this short break, which will be tenth of a second for, for you, uh, we'll go into well, what is Hermeticism, basically? What is Hermes? What is the Hermetic? What is Mercurial? Mercury? Uh, Mercari? Whatever, all that stuff. The, the derivation of the breakdown of these words. It is important in, in phenomenology. They draw a lot from the older styles of philology, and oftentimes breaking words down to extract more meaning from those words is is a feature, especially of Martin Heidegger's work. So, it's part of it's part of phenomenology. In any event, uh, let's call that for now, and be right back with you shortly to talk about the breakdown of Hermes, Hermeticism, Syncretism, Mercury and to go over my translations that I think of the Emerald Tablet that are applicable directly. That is Isaac Newton's and Fulcanelli's. We'll be right back. This is carrying, picking up where, uh, where it left off, which is talking about different textual interpretations and translations of the Emerald Tablet. So I want to deviate slightly before going back to the translations that I think are the most applicable to Dark and to the travelers in, in the show Dark. So I'm not so much interested in a full exposition of, of alchemy and hermeticism and hermetic philosophy as I am with trying to find that element of it that most agrees with the characters in the show, known as the travelers. So um, I think the Fulcanelli and the Isaac Newton translations are probably the most scientific sounding or the most practical material and the less spiritually lofty uh, word choices but for the moment I need to I need to d go on a tangent for a short period because this will help explicate the travelers and why they can be uh, hermeticists without really talking much her hermeticism or hermetic language you know because they they would it seemed by all outward appearance to be uh, embracing this cult, this secret society. Noah has the tattoo on his back, of course, and and then they're talking about their faith. Uh, but it, it, it appears, though, that for the most part, they're lost scientists whose only understanding of the divine is the time loop itself, is time, uh, which is uncaring. It, it just crushes you. It has no vitality to it at all. There's nothing animated about the, the god of those... Uh, trapped circular uh, recurrent worlds, of which there happen to be three. There are two of them that are in juxtaposition that barely touch, that are opposites from one another. And then the third world can only be created, and at the, at the, at the end of the show, uh, the third world becomes manifest, which is an alchemical, uh, almost a, a hermetically Kabbalistic principle where you combine two opposing principles, and the third one is the median without being either one of them. It's not mediating or mixing them, it's becoming something new, it's transmuted, which is what Hermeticism ultimately means to do with matter or with spirit, depending on where you fall on that continuum, what's, what texts you're reading, is transmutation, the creation of something entirely new that was destined to be created eventually, but didn't exist in that moment in time. I say destined to exist eventually because Hermeticists are almost pan-psyche uh, in that all matter has consciousness. It's all alive in some rudimentary form or other. They don't 
have the worldview which we have here in the West, thanks to the alchemist Isaac Newton, where we separate matter, material, the gross material, elements, minerals, metals, dirt, gems, carbon, silicon. Nobody would say uh, those things are alive, conscious, or evolving in any way. Not today, although perhaps they should. Uh, whereas in the ancient Greek past and in the Roman as well, there was the um, conceptual understanding that matter has a consciousness, the world has a soul, the world's soul, the Neoplatonists, that in some way there is a, prog a process of growth occurring in all matter. And that process is how. It explains how diamonds can be created from carbon. They didn't know this, but they had a sense of um, minerals deeper in the earth. The deeper in the earth you go, the more embryonic these things are. But their, their purpose in existence is to evolve up a ladder of uh, refinement, which is why it's not far-fetched at all for the alchemists to say, well, you can transmute lead into gold, because sooner or later it's going to become gold anyway. It would just take a lot longer than we want to wait. And so we will use the fire and different uh, minerals, chemicals, under the influence of different planetary rays to accelerate this process in the laboratory, in the alchemical flask. We're recreating the, the early earth and the creation to transmute nobility from, from worthless ubiquitous or very uh, wasteful low uh, minerals to create what's high. And that's the same, this young determined that, that is the same process of individuation that, that goes on in the human psyche. From all these juxtaposed negative and positive emotions, you can transmute something more positive, alive, warm, balanced, individuated, intellectually stable, whatever. Uh, that's young. So they believe that Metals grow in the womb of the earth. So they're seeking to expand, uh, to create not just gold for riches, that's the last thing on their mind, uh, to create the philosopher's stone, the elixir of life. These things can restore health, that they can fight off disease and even aging, or you can live for an unusually long, long time. Um, so the travelers don't, there's only one or two incidents where I hear any dialogue in the show Dark that seems to imply that the travelers are talking about hermeticism, and I don't even know if they ever mention the name. Uh, the closest I think we get to it is the label on the door of the secret society where the power plant is Sigmundus Creatus Est, is, is uh, I think it's aphorism 13 of the Corpus Hermeticum, I've created the world or something to that effect where they talk about um, when, uh, I think I've mentioned it briefly, and I'll, I'll just reiterate, Noah's talking to Helge in front of the church, where they're having that confrontation, and, and Helge wants to defy Noah, Noah's mastery. But he isn't strong. I mean, he's too traumatized. He's too messed up. He can't, he can't do it. But he does try to his credit, and, and Noah just crushes the life out of him. It's, uh, you know... But one of the things that they're saying uh, as, as Helge questions him and challenges him, you know, why would people want to believe it if everything is a lie? Because obviously Noah is a nihilist, not a hermeticist. But Noah talks about 
how people can't stand the pain. And a lie is better than dealing with the pain. But that even the pain has a use, usefulness uh, and that it can make one stronger. Where Noah talks about a young man who lived in his home when he was a child. Of course, that was jo the time-traveling Jonas. Um, where he seemed like he'd been through the war, which he had. And, and he was shattered in some way that Noah couldn't grasp at the time. Noah was too young. He was maybe a teenager, 13 or something. But he quotes the stranger Jonas character as saying something to the effect of uh, all, all is, is, you know, nothing is ever wasted. Nothing is ever in vain. All of it is connected in a, in a powerful, overwhelming uh, uh, sign of one, the one great thing. It sounds a lot like the the corpus her the uh, emerald tablets opening sequence, but in almost no other time they talk about time and they talk about uh, philosophy in a sense, and they have this sort of this pseudo psychological discussion of identity and you know the old Jonas is Adam is full of cryptic aphorisms and and he certainly sounds like a spooky sinister thirty third degree mason of some kind, but. <clears throat> they rarely talk. They, they, it's more they have the sigil of the Emerald Tablet. Uh, now the reason I think the Emerald Tablet is is the most applicable text for the travelers is because I think they've they've certainly dehermeticized the Emerald Tablet to make it more of a scientific sounding kind of treatise. But I've speculated that that's because they don't have access to cesium one thirty seven. When they've traveled backwards, and they don't have nuclear power plants, they can barely get enough electricity going to light up the pylons with the giant Faraday cage Tesla coil-looking thing to make the the black sphere uh, dimensional portal. But Hermeticism and alchemy also speak of the prima materia. Uh, we would call it the God particle, God particle today in the the age of CERN, the Hydron Super Collider, and all that. We think of things on the molecular model, which I understand now that uh, it's really not what physicists believe anymore. That is, they don't believe in the K-shell, the M-shell, this and that. The Bohr model of the atom uh, has been altered in some way or discredited. You know, we, we still look at electrons and protons and all that. But the solar system, I may be wrong, but I, I think I've, I've heard somewhere the solar system cosmological model of of a material atom, even in Niels Bohr's time, was beginning to face challenges. And, and of course, now it's, it's very, very obsolete. Although, I guess, at least I was. I'm dating myself here. Maybe they're not teaching it in classes as much now for modern chemists. Uh, but even when I was learning it, it was, it was you looked at it and you, you could tell this was an old metaphorical structure. Um, it just it just seemed very almost archaic and even when i was in high school it was it was 100 years 80 90 years past that the physicists and niels bohr came up with this with this model um but they want the prima materia which is the god particle and this this is the particle that will increase the strength of the the, the portal of the black hole it will increase the electricity flowing through the mechanism it increases its the weight of itself it's a, it's a effect of the Jonas's little time traveling device is a is a uh, a breeder handheld nuclear reactor, and with 
breeder nuclear reactors, that's the kind of reactor that went off at Chernobyl. Uh, the matter increases. You're actually increasing the amount of radioactive matter in the power plant itself. You can have, if it weren't so dangerous and unstable, you could theoretically have an unlimited source of power from a breeder nuclear reactor, you know, to the point of, of the, the fullness of the material, you know, there's a, a finite limit of how much electricity you can get out of it. But you could have an infinite, an almost infinite seeming fission reaction, uh, or at least a long, long damn time. But I, I mean, I'm no expert on nuclear physicists, um, so it's possible I'm, I'm a bit off in that, but that's my understanding of, of breeder reactor. And of course, they're unsafe and unstable and hard to control, even with the control rods. Uh, we have different nuclear reactors here in this country, they're not breeder reactors. They're 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 built on a different model, <clears throat> with a different material. They're not using uh, the uranium. They're using plutonium, and cesium one thirty seven is a breakdown of some of these chemicals. Um, that's what was in the barrels of nuclear waste in the power plant in the wind and power plant. But they know that they're not going to be able to have a hadron super collider in eighteen eighty eight, which is at one point the travelers go all the way back to the latter 19th century, but they will have electricity and they will have hermeticism and alchemy. And they talk about the philosopher's stone, the prima materia. It's the same thing as the God particle. And in effect, with the knowledge that they have futuristic knowledge, but 19th century technology, they can still derive what they need to create the, the time travel, to create the doorway. They can still do it, um, only with an alchemical extraction of that prima materia as opposed to uh, a nuclear, a fission reaction. Um, so the f prima materia, the God particle, I mean, what is it really, you know, who knows? What's the Philosopher's Stone? Who knows? I mean, and I, I, took, I took issue with, with Noah having to consult uh, the Kybalion. Um and in a sense, the Emerald Tablet as well, although it's possible Elizabeth was using that for some sort of code, a secret message, uh, because she was opening the Emerald Tablet, and while she was reading it, there was some note that fell out of it. Um, but you don't hear these people talking a lot about Hermeticism itself, the principles of Hermes Trace Megistos. You don't hear them talking about um, transmutation of, of matter in the alchemical way. They don't use a rubric of alchemical terminology. They do have the, the sigils and the symbols. And I think it's because time travel, their travelers, which they fall under, under Hermes and Mercury. Now, the, the Greeks and the Romans did a lot of syncretism from other traditions and other languages. So the original Greek Hermes, it's, it's the god of, uh, uh, of, of, Interpretive communication, that's what one of the articles I've looked at says, initially. But that also means he's to do with commerce. Uh, mercury, merch, mercantilism, mercenary, uh, a merce, <laughs> right, a, um, is, is the root of the word mer mercury, which is a transliteration from Greek into Latin of, of Hermes. So he's also the god of, of, in a way, a god of trade and commerce and of communication for fair, for fair trade. Uh, he's also connected to magic, because magic words 
and spells, and you can you can recreate the universe. And and most magic is a kind of negotiated struggle between the spellcaster and the magician and these other entities, these elementals, uh, angels, demons, whatever you like. It it's true. There's a prescribed ritual uh, series of words and actions and drawings that you need to go through to open the gateway to start to perform the magic, the ceremonial magic. It's still a negotiated agreement where. The entity being imprisoned and harnessed to the will of the spellcaster is willing to to do it if and only if there's a kind of exchange, a trade. You know, of course, the most famous is, is Faust. The, uh, I'll give you all the magic from Mephistopheles that you want and all the knowledge you can, you can stand, but you have to give me your immortal soul. So even though the magician is constraining these entities, the magic won't work unless there's a commercial transaction, and that has to do with words. Um... I don't think it's an accident that, and I have no affiliation with them, it's no accident that there's a phone app that has to do with buying and selling that you get on your iPhone called Mercari. Mercari. Mercury. Okay? Because the company, whoever founded that app, understands Mercury is the god of commerce. He's also the god of the crossroad. So, oftentimes, some of the darker magic, and you see this in African cultures as well, and I mean by that I mean the Yoruba of West Africa, uh, but in a lot of the European magical tradition, uh, you have to initiate these rituals at a crossroad. Crossroad, where people are, are traveling and all worlds meet at these crossroads. Um, and that's why Robert Johnson, when he went to make his deal with the devil to become a great musician, when he sold his soul to Satan, he went down to the crossroads. To the crossroads. The, the Yoruba... Uh, Orisha, known as Eshu, is also a kind of a god of commerce, but he's also a god of life and death uh, and sex. And so the commercial trade that needs to be done has to be done through clarity of communication. That's another thing where we have an astrology. You'll hear people mention something about uh, retrograde Mercury, okay, where it looks like Mercury is going backwards in its orbit and not in the, the proper direction anymore. And so, of course, that garbles all communication. And so they'll often say, you know, in the newspaper even, there's some of this. You know, don't start any serious business transaction under a retrograde Mercury because, you know, it'll all be, a, it'll all be FUBAR. Um, so Mercury, Hermes, Mercari, uh, commerce, trade, magic, communication. Uh, I know I'm forgetting something. Um... Yeah, I know I'm forgetting something here. And life and death. Uh, I was starting to mention issue. Uh, Hermes or Mercury is also what they call in religious studies a psychopomp. All right, that means when you die, it's the god Mercury who comes to escort you, or Hermes, to escort you to wherever you're going in your afterlife, whether it's the Elysium Fields or wherever it is. Um, you're taken. Uh, and guided through the initiatory process of, of your death. And uh, in Plato, of course, he believed in reincarnation, as the Pythagoreans also did. So you have in this long description of the soul, and it's traveling through the underworld and reemergence to be reborn once again. So really, and, and Hermes is not uh, a warrior god, but in a way, in many ways, he is the strongest of all the gods because he has his grubby little fingers in everything, life and death, romance, uh, sexuality, communication, trade, commerce, exchange, health. Uh, there's a, the Asclepius. I'm not even. I'm barely going to touch on this. 
Uh, but if I remember properly, the Asclepius, Hermes, is actually instructing the god Asclepius, the god of medicine. And so there's a coiled caduceus-looking thing, slightly different under the uh, hermetic symbolism than the, the sigil for the god of medicine, which is Asclepius. This, it suggests, you know, Hermes, Mercury, this, this entity has a great deal of power, including the power to heal in medicine. Uh, to protect the traveler, you know, just the more the more it expands outward, the more you see he's got his grubby little hands in every aspect of human life, and he is the the closest to humans. He's the most sympathetic for humans. Uh, he cares for them. He works and deals with them. But in a similar, he's not Loki. Uh, Eshu is more like Loki at certain times because he's the god of chaos. But Hermes doesn't seem to have as much of. He knows about it. He's aware of it. But he's not, he's not part of this balance, per se, in himself of good and evil. He seems to be primarily good. Uh, there doesn't appear to be a chaos-causing evil side of, of Mercury, where there is for Etchu, and there certainly is for Loki. Loki, Norse god of death and chaos, didn't do a lot of good for anybody. Uh, Etchu is kind of in between. In one uh, West African story... Eshu talks about, uh, the, the myth talks about how Eshu wanted to trick these two farmers. They were so arrogant. They were neighbors. And they thought they were the best friends in all the world. And so he wanted to, I'll show them. You know, that's what he does. Chaos kind of shakes things up, gives you the opportunity for growth, but it, it's also tremendously painful. And so what does he do? He walks up the street in one direction with a red, a red and a black hat. And then he turns back and he he walks on the other direction. It turns the hat around, red and black. And so the farmers start to talk to each other. Hey, did you see that strange man walk by with the red hat? And he says, no, no, there was no guy with a red hat. I saw a guy with a black hat. And before you know it, they, they've come to blows and they're beating each other up. And all. And there comes Etchu and, and he, he has to admit, well, look, I'm sorry. It's, it, the fault is mine. I did this to you deliberately. Uh, causing strife is my greatest joy, right? And to, to break them out of their arrogance, make them appreciate their friendship a bit more, perhaps. You don't see that so much in, in, in Mercury or Hermes. I think the case could be made. It's beyond my, my scholarly understanding. I'd say it's outside of my wheelhouse, but it's an interest to me nonetheless. When you look at Hermes and then you look at the parallel myths in the, the Vedic traditions of, of uh, Krishna, the Vedic and the Hindu traditions of Krishna, because what Krishna, you know, he was very wise. It was he who instructed Arjuna to take part in the battle, the 18-day battle against his, his family. Uh, and he seemed to understand the depths of how the universe worked. He had tremendous wisdom, and so did Hermes. Hermes thought it was the original syncretism was Hermes, the god of uh, communication, and Thoth, the Egyptian god of wisdom. I've said in previous uh, uh, discussions that alchemy was originally an Egyptian. It's they think it started in Egypt because of the black, the black land of the Nile Delta. Alchemy, chem is the black, the black earth, the rich, you know. And of course, alchemy is Arabic. Al the uh, the black land or something to that effect. Uh, and because you're refining from the black, from the dross of the world, to create medicine and gold. And all these other things. So, Hermes, Mercury, Thoth, the, uh, the transmuted and, and syncretized uh, god, the most, the most 
sympathetic for humankind. Um, they never speak of Hermeticism in the Travelers, but Mercury is the god of travel and the god of the crossroads. Then he's also the patron protector for these people as they travel through time. Can I think... I think I've outlined this. Let me find Falconelli's translation of the Emerald Tablet, and we'll just quickly further explicate that. Now, I'm sure I've missed a few things here and there, but I think it's minor and not relevant uh, to discuss the show Dark. I mean, it would be in an academic setting. In this case, though, I don't believe it is. It's discussing a TV show where they barely mention Hermes. They just have sigils. Okay. Okay. Here's Isaac Newton's translation of the Emerald Tablet. And now... Keep in mind, right, this isn't an exhaustive survey of the Emerald Tablet or of Hermeticism. It is an attempt to place the travelers in context, and they're all travelers. Claudia and the Lux Eret, the, la the uh, light, let there be light, is in Martha's world, and Sigmundus Creatus Est is in Jonas's world, right? They're two opposing worlds, they're juxtaposed, they're backwards. In one world, Jonas never was born, uh, but but Martha knew about the other Martha, and they traveled back and forth between these worlds as well as through time. So they they are in in certain aspects hermeticists. I do believe, and this will be my next discussion about this show, that the writers and the director have an alchemical allegorical interpretation of their overall story in mind when we're discussing Jonas and uh, Martha. That is speculation. I, I'm pretty sure I'm correct, but they don't show it up front. I mean, they're very, they, they understand symbolism very well, and they, I think they had, to, they had to leave out the hermetic interpretations that became hermetic philosophy. They, 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 they only embraced the idea of people traveling through time are at the crossroads. And you remember on uh, Jonas's map, where uh, he tried to map out the caves, Mikhail tried to map out the caves, it didn't it say constantly, where is the crossing? Where is the crossing? Uh, and of course, we know on the surface it's the crossing of the event horizon into the black hole. But what if he meant, where is the crossroads, where the worlds all meet? The past, the present, and the future are one, they touch each other, uh, and you can travel easily backwards and forwards through this, this bridge of the wormhole. You know, then, of course, you'd say, where is the crossroads? Okay, but enough, I mean, that's speculative, um, but here, let's see, let's see, you know, does this, the text of this more fit Claudia, Noah, their, their scientific endeavors to create this um, god particle, all while trying to kill each other. So here we go. Um, okay. Tis true without lying, certainly most true. Okay, that's, that's the first aphorism. That which is below is like that which is above. And that which is above is like that which is, is below. Okay. To do to the miracles of all one thing. To do ye miracles of one only thing. Yes. Now, remember what Noah, what Noah quoted uh, Jonas as saying. Nothing is ever in vain. It's all a wonderful you know, element of one, you know the lines. Um, that's it right there, isn't it? That's the Emerald Tablet. That's where Noah is talking Hermeticism. Okay, but 
Okay. Why isn't this working? Okay. As all things have been and arose from one by ye mediation of one, so all things have their birth from this one thing by adaptation. There's your God particle. Okay. There, now Newton was an alchemist, a uh, great scientist indeed, but his purposes were alchemical. For him, gravity isn't a force of massive bodies uh, by density, matter and density. Uh, for him, alchemy is that attracting force, the same kind of attracting force that causes you to transmute matter in certain temperatures of fire. You mix it with mercury. You know, again, mercury, mercari, mercury, the element mercury. Uh, which the alchemists wouldn't have had, you know. They, they wouldn't have called it mercury. They would have called it quicksilver or cinnabar, okay? Uh, but certainly their concept of mercury was nothing to do with the periodic table and nothing to do with modern chemistry. Uh, but modern chemists named that element mercury, and, and who knows? I mean, I can only speculate on that. It's a universal solvent. It, it can dissolve anything. Um, but in any event, that's um, we're dealing with... The sun is its father, the moon is its mother. What Newton may have meant by that, hard to say. The emerald tablet means you're dealing with opposites. You're dealing with dry and wet, night and day, hot and cold. Uh, the, the sun and the moon, Sol and Luna, which are code names for gold and quicksilver, or sim simply silver, but the two are interchangeable. Uh, and of course it makes sense because Luna, the moon, is very protean. It's constantly changing. Okay, It's changing its phases until at one point there's no moon at all, the dark of the moon. And at its, at its apex you have the full moon uh, and, and its light. But its light is inferior to that of the sun. I don't know if they understood the astronomy of it, whereby the moon's light is not natural to itself. The moonlight is reflected sunlight from behind the rim of the world. I don't think they would have seen it that way. They would have understood the lunar was a, a lesser light because it was a different color. It was pale. It's not as bright as the sun, obviously. It's not a star. But they wouldn't have looked at it as, oh, well, the moon is, is reflecting the light of, of our sun back into our eyes. They wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have understood it that way. They would have, especially since many of the alchemists in the early Renaissance period, including Newton, were Christian they would have immediately thought of the passages in Genesis, you know, the greater light for the day and the lesser light for the night, uh, male and female. So there may be an element of, uh, of um, I hate to say this, but there could even be an element of misogyny in some interpretations of this. Women are weaker than men and so forth, and a man can live for himself, but she has to live through her husband and all this nonsense, which we've rightly discarded today, but one thinks perhaps we've gone a bit too far in disrupting the the natural affinity and difference between men and women. You, you, you can't just homogenize them into one bland communistic class, you know, like right out of Marxism. There, there has to be male and female energy, or what some alchemists called the energy of wisdom, uh, uh, male wisdom and female wisdom, which the Apollonius, the Apollonian understanding is intellectual, but 
the, the female wisdom. It's more about life and death, giving birth, creation. She's the creative force, more so than the male. But you need both in balance in order to, to achieve this transmutation. So, God, I'm cold. All right, so section five, let's see here. Newton, what does he go on to say? The winds have carried it in its belly, the earth its nurse. Where we're going back again to the womb where metals grow. They're born and they grow. But he would have also understood the Neoplatonic cosmological understanding where there's such a thing called the world soul. And as I said earlier, these metals grow from the bowels of the earth, don't they? They, they mature and they grow naturally. The father of all perfection in the whole world is here. In the whole world. No. In ye world is here, okay? Its force or its power is entire. If it be converted into earth. Okay, 7a. Separate. Separate thou ye earth from ye fire. Ye subtle from ye gross. Sweetly. Yeah, the subtle from the gross. I actually don't understand those last few words. It's written in the original spelling of the English from the 16th, uh, 1600s. Okay, it ascends from the earth to the heaven and again from the heavens to the earth. Okay. And receives ye force of things superior and inferior. Well, he may have been discussing the uh, what you might actually observe in the flask, in the alchemical flask. Uh, but of course, I'm led to think at once of the water cycle, uh, where the rain, the water evaporates, rises into the atmosphere, it condenses into clouds and comes down again. And that, they, they must have understood something about this. Even if you go as far back as the 10th century uh, Jewish poet named Ibn Gabirol, where he talks about this, the, the, the rising and falling of the light, and the, the, the energy of the water, the warmth, the heat, um, the sun, you know, in its circuit in the sky, and these, all these, you know, it's all rising and descending. And in, of course, the uh, astronomical component of this show, I don't know if I can even get into this, I'm no astronomer, but the 33-year calendar, okay, when, when, when these events keep happening in the black, the wormhole is created to jump uh, years of 33 degrees, uh, 33 years, uh, everything has to be in its place in the heavens and the cosmos for that to be aligned properly. Um, on a 33-year repetitive cycle, every 33 years, the Earth is in a realignment identical to that of 33 years prior. Um, and again, the stars and the moon rise and set because of the, the orbit of the Earth. Some of them may have indeed known the Earth was orbiting. orbiting. I've, I found a passage in the Zohar that alludes to this. It isn't just that they thought the Earth was round. They knew that. I mean, most of the Middle Ages, the knowledge was lost. But if, if you went to Baghdad, if you went to the, uh, the, the Muslim uh, Andalusia, southern Spain, Maimonides, these people would have understood that the Earth was round. They never ever would have taken literally the, the biblical cosmology where 
or most other cosmologies for that matter, where the world is like a flat disk in a sea of waters, the upper waters from the lower waters, etc. They would have understood. They would have understood that it was round, and, and I also believe they understood it was spinning. There's a passage in the Zohar that talks about that. You know, the earth is a round ball that's spinning. Uh, it's, it's spinning, uh, and, and they seem to allude to that thing also orbiting in its circuits uh, around the sun. You know, but it, it's, it's harder to prove that precisely, but when you can read a passage from the Zohar that indicates that they understood the sun rising in the sky because of the turning rotation of the earth, not because the sun was moving, but because the earth was. Right, but then again, that's neither here nor there. Uh, by this means, you shall have ye glory of the whole world. Okay. Ye glory of ye whole world, and thereby, all obscurity, shall fly from you. So it'll bring you wisdom. It'll bring you understanding. And the travelers aren't just going back and forth through time for the hell of it. They're, they're doing it to maintain the time loop, but they're also trying to learn how to break free of the time loop. They're seeking knowledge across the centuries, everywhere they go. Um, okay, uh, 10. Its force is above all force, for it vanquisheth every subtle thing and penetrate every solid thing, okay? I don't know if I need to go into that too much. It seems pretty self-exclamatory. The, the God particle is the foundation of all force, all matter, the states of matter, uh, uh, solid, liquid, gaseous, and plasma. So, okay, and here we are, number 11 is, I was wrong, it's, it's 11. So was ye world created, sic mundus creatus est, it's number 11, not 13. I misquoted it. Okay. That's barely intelligible. I'm in number 12 here. All right. That's almost unintelligible in the uh, the Middle English sounding whatever it is. So I'm going to move on and just to see if the Fulcanelli translation illuminates this any further. But the reason I chose the Newton uh, Newton's translation of the Emerald Tablet is because he really he was a scientist. Um, he was a Christian. He was not a Trinitarian. Like I've said before, it was, seems a more rational way to interpret. <laughs> you know the scripture, but I begin again. Who am I? I'm nobody. Uh, I don't uh, mean to come across like I'm criticizing. Uh, you know, like like I'm attacking. I'm not. Uh, just to me, it's 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 more difficult. I have a hard time understanding the Trinity and the the kenosis that that goes with him being his own father's son or something. You know, that's Newton had no use for that. Had they discovered this. Uh, they may have killed him on the spot. They certainly would have ejected him from, from his, his professorship. It was a very heretical position, even in Protestant England. It was a heretical position. The uni a non-Trinitarian, that's, you know, it's, it's blasphemy, it's heresy, what have you. Um, 
Okay, I'm gonna find the fucking Ellie. Okay, this is Backstrom's Rosicrucian. I'm not interested in this. Let's keep going. Now you can you'll find this on the Internet Sacred Text Archive under the Alchemy section. Okay, Madame Blavatsky. Yeah. I do want I do want the Fulcanelli, so I'll keep scrolling. Madame Blavatsky was the founder of the Theosophical Society in 1875. I've been kind of skimming through some of the secret doctrine the last uh, couple days. Here we are. Fulcanelli is translated from the French. Now, when I came across this translation, I thought it was perfect to explicate the travelers, to, to fit in with their goals and their, their um, actions and their wisdom. So, this is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I feel like I'm in court now. As below, so above, and as above, so below. With this knowledge alone, you may work miracles. There. You see how clear that is. You see how just how succinct that is. Uh, far more than the more obscure translations, uh, the sort of pseudo-spiritual obscurantism. Fulcanelli has no, no dealings with that sort of thing. He's about, about clarity. And since all things exist and are emanated from the One, who is the ultimate cause, so all things are born after their kind from this One. Okay, that's emanationism. Uh, where the source, uh, in the Neoplatonic sense, the source is, is the One, is called the One in Plotinus. And through a series of emanations, the light, as it leaves the source behind and, and uh, descends. It loses its strength and its potency. That's why the one is unknowable, uh, but then the high intellect, where the abstract forms are, is somewhat graspable. And the further down this ladder you go, the less light you have, the more material matter you have. Um, and that's, that's emanationism. As it departs from the source, it weakens. But it's a ladder to the sky. The sun is the father, the moon is the mother. Uh, perhaps, again, because one of them is mercury and one of them is, is, is... You have to impregnate the alchemical flask with a little bit of uh, gold to increase its growth. Um, so... The wind carried it in its belly. Earth... Earth is its nurse and its guardian. Um, okay... It is the father of all things. The eternal will is contained in it. Here on earth, its strength, its power remain one and undivided. Okay. Well, they're looking for the God particle and they're trying to bring a kind of peaceful stasis into the world. I mean, Noah wants everyone dead, except for, like, a few people. Uh, and and Claudia is, is trying to <laughs> prevent the whole thing from becoming a world of death. Uh, but 
it could also signify the God particle. You know, they, they, they even now, even in this moment today, they think if they can understand this, this particle in the particle accelerator or whatever, you could start to try to build a device that uses fusion energy, cold fusion, as a means of production of power. So, I mean, is it, is it really so different? Is it really that they're looking at CERN, they're trying to find the God particle, the primal matter? Is that really so different than the Philosopher's Stone? Is it? I don't, I don't think it is. Okay, the earth must be separated from the fire, the subtle from the dense. Gently with, uh, with, what is this word? With, I thought it said that, unremitting care, right? You have to be very attentive, of course. In a sense, you're committing an act of, of, uh, of theurgy, uh, where the alchemy is a kind of, it's a sort of magic uh, that's in harmony with the magic of nature already anyway. So it's using nature to accelerate nature. So it's, it's nothing, there's nothing black magical about this. Uh, it's, it's in harmony with, with the music of the spheres, as it were, with the structure of the world, of God's world. It arises from the earth and descends from heaven. It gathers to itself the strength of things above and of things below. By means of this one thing, all the glory of the world shall be yours. And all obscurity flee from you. Okay, that's number nine. Remember, it talked about that, the clarifying of the mind, the, the driving away of, uh, of confusion, that sort of thing. It's also the stone of the wise. It, it makes one wiser if you can make it through the process of making it. And then if you ingest it, 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 it can impart great wisdom uh, to, the, to the operator, assuming they've succeeded. Yes, and this is a more of a spiritual number 10 again. It is power strong with the strength of all power, for it will penetrate all mysteries and dispel all ignorance. Okay. By it the world was created. You you can't get much more physicist sounding than that. The Big Bang, which I don't believe in, the 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 the, the, the one particle that existed before existence existed and it it summoned itself from blackness and erupted with this enormous quantity of energy, which makes, you know, we don't understand this. And then the big, so-called the Big Bang, the, uh, the separation of dust, stars, planets, plasma, whatever the hell it is. I, I still don't buy it. I don't, I don't understand how scientists with mathematics and all the rest that they have, their technology, can simply rewrite the first chapter of Genesis and then call it science and say it has nothing to do with religion. It's the same damn thing. There's no difference. Let there be light, and there was light. You know, the Spirit of God hovering on the face of the waters. Is that really so different before, you know, than the, the, um, the, the Tree of Life by, by Isaac Luria? Uh, before the worlds were created, before the emanations were emanated, uh, there was no nothing, neither above nor below, nor, nor you know, up, above, below, left or right. There was nothing. It was just the light of, of light of the Creator you know, who created himself out of nothing in order that he might create light also. 
out of nothing by the power of the word. The word. Okay, let's see now. Um, from it are born manifold wonders. This is number 12. The means to achieving which are here given. So he's saying effectively, you, if you have the Emerald Tablet, that's all you need. It has everything in it. Like I, I compared it to the Sefer Yetzirah earlier in this episode, because it's the foundation of a whole vast uh, discipline uh, um, of thought, a paradigm of, of science, uh, for it is a science as much as anything else. It is, it is for this reason that I am called Hermes Trismegistus. For I possess the three essentials of the philosophy of the universe. Okay. This is the sum total of the work of the sun. Now, what? Oh, here's a new translation. Here's another translation of Fulcanelli. Let me double check this and see if I've explicated the correct translation for you. Yes, from Fulcanelli. It's an older translation. So I'm going to. Um, in case I need to. I don't think I need to. Uh, my only purpose with this ultimately was to demonstrate how, in spite of their not using alchemical terminology or behaving much like alchemists, why the travelers are, in a sense, hermetic. They are, they are travelers. Uh, and their search for the god particle to control time travel and the power of it from the black hole or whatever, that's a lot like an alchemical quest. Um, for something. But you never see them... The only times when you see them reading anything is the Kybalion or the Emerald Tablet. And you almost never hear them talking uh, directly about what would come across to us as, as hermetic philosophy. But they have all the, the, the sigils, they have all the uh, accoutrements, I guess you'd say, of an alchemical secret society. You know, I mean, I, I've read plenty of books, but obviously I don't know anything yet. Uh, I have, I'm not a Freemason. I don't know what their secrets represent. But uh, there were a lot of societies, secret societies, built on an alchemical foundation that, you know, have secret, what, secret grips and secret passwords and, and uh, you know, initiatory rites. I didn't really notice them doing anything with initiation either, which, whether it's a hermetic order or... Uh, even not so magically inclined, but still has something to do with hermeticism and alchemy, you'd have levels of initiation. You'd, you'd have uh, escalation of, of one's status reflects the spirit world where one's power is also escalated. So when you, when you go through these occult, occultist societies and you're initiated uh, up the ladder of, of wisdom and stuff, your soul is evolving as well as the world, the world around you, the world in you. It evolves as you proceed through these grades of higher and higher rank in the initiatory process. And every one of these secret societies, all of them, you know, the Rosicrucians, the Freemasons, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the, the OTO, I mean, all these are built on that, that structure. So, from Falcon, let's see, and I think 406, I'm going to stop here now. Um, I may go back to some of this if I'm talking about the Rosarium Philosophorum. 
I may have to refer back to some of this, but I, I, my goal was simply was to explicate uh, how these people were, were, were hermitists, uh, even though they rarely talked like them and they looked the part, but they were more scientific. But in a, a wider sense, yes, absolutely, they were, they were hermeticists. They were travelers and they were bargainers. And there's so much emphasis in, in dark on the words, you know, the speech, the wisdom, and all of them had it. Every, every one of them. Claudia had it. Noah had it. All the travelers ended up becoming tremendously wise. It had no effect on whether or not they were good or evil. I'd have to... Wisdom, usually people think, well, if you're wise, you're not evil. Um, but that's not true. We know this isn't true. You know, wisdom does not infer necessarily goodness, empathy, or kindness. But in the end, all of them, through good and evil, and I think they're both equal measures of both good and evil, they, they come through it on the other side. And when they realize what needs to happen... And Jonas and Martha willingly make their sacrifice to, to save the world. Um, but in any case, we'll call that good for now. Um, next time, I'll, I think the next episode I want to put up or do is the Rosarium Philosophorum, the alchemical analysis of the, the relationship between Jonas and Martha. And I also, in the not-too-near future, I want to do an episode talking about White Bear uh, from Black Mirror and the movie Ark which deal with similar thematics, although, you know, the plots are a bit different, but the, the thematic alignment is almost perfect between that episode of Black Mirror called White Bear and a movie uh, called Ark. And at some point, too, I want to start discussing the work of Eugene Thacker. Uh, he's a philosopher of horror, because uh, I'm totally interested in horror. And because Dark and, and even some of Black Mirror is dystopian, the... the um, the horror genre. Uh, it really imbues dark with all the ominous overtones of of um, of a horror drama. So in any case, uh, that's enough for now. This is Rogue Philosopher. Uh, so long, goodbye, God bless, and um, hope you are well now as we pass into the the fall in the northern hemisphere. And be be well, be safe. Take care. And um, we'll talk with you again soon. And again, uh, we will meet again under the shadow of the lily. Stop.